speaker and then you should see the invite and uh, all right here we go Gary how are you I'm doing fine Matt how are you doing I'm doing well happy Tuesday uh, from Brooklyn the yes center, the center of the known universe <laughs> so they say so they say. <laughs> uh, is it it must be hotter down there than it is up here right now. Oh, man, it is just unpleasant. I don't like summer. I mean, the only good thing I've ever found about summer, where well, you can hear the motorcycles roaring outside, and I've closed the windows. I've tried to, you know, silence um, Brooklyn as much as I can, as much as you possibly can. But it's really hot. I don't like summer except for baseball. That's about it. That's about it, yes. Yeah. Yes, the, uh, the nation's pastime, yeah. Yes, once upon a time. No more, but, uh, you know, some of us remember when. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, so what is the, what is what sport is the national pastime now, would you say? Boy, I still, I guess it's football. 
football and basketball are the two. And uh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I tend to agree. I uh, maybe more so football. Yeah, hard, yeah, yeah. Hard to say. Yeah, are you but you know that's what you see. That's what you, that's well. That's what you see. Kids playing. Exactly. And exactly. that more has the vernacular. It has the beat. It has the um, the apparent um, fat. Well, certainly uh, basketball is is fast paced. Football, mm -hmm. if you if you break it down, there's not as much action as they want you to think. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, but um, we we live in a world where if you you know someone doesn't answer a text in what eight seconds. They're no longer your friend. Uh, you know, this is the, the sort of world impatient universe, society that we live in. Uh, in, in my novels, in, in the America of, the two, of 2098, social media was banned under the anti-narcissism laws. With, Ooh. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I stepped on it now. I don't mean to. I'm sure I'll offend a few other people. people are, during the course of the podcast. <laughs> well, okay. So it's it, America has lost World War III to mm -hmm. the Islamic Empire. Uh, and I wanted to, um, to see, you know, to, to take America, to look at America as a once great power no more, America where democracy has failed, our leaders have failed us, and what would bring America to this dystopian point. And uh, the only really thing that would make sense would be a world war. So who do we fight? The Russians, I mean, come on, Red Dawn, enough already. We've seen it. Mm -hmm. The Chinese sure. would might be more likely, um, but it's boring. I don't think it would be all that interesting, but Islam, there's been a third rail um, between the West and um, Islam for, you know, 1,300 years. The very first war, the America, you know, the, the, the um, independent America fought was against the Barbary pirates. Sure. In 1803, I believe that's where we got the you know the marine hymn from the halls mm -hmm. of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. So I thought that would do it. And so the the um, in this world, it's now governed by an entity called the family, where mm -hmm. it depends on how much you. It's all based on relationships, on love, mm -hmm. on family, friendship. So going back to social media, uh, I don't want to you know shock everyone out there, but the thousand friends you have on Facebook really aren't your friends. I know. Oh, my God. Well, I know. And there's a lot to be said for that, because uh, I, I agree with you. And what social media does do is it kind of keeps us within our shell, uh, yeah. be, because if you're interacting with somebody on Facebook that you really have never maybe even met before, how would you react to that person if you actually saw them in the grocery store? Would you even yeah. acknowledge them? Right. Um, uh, many people wouldn't. Uh, and there's no question. I want to welcome everyone into the chat room that just arrived. Chucky and Lady Rebecca, welcome. And thanks for sharing the show. So, um, so tell me about yourself. I mean, you're a, a stranger to me, and uh, <laughs> we've uh, met on this is how we meet. And there's and nothing, we met on social media. Yeah, you know, look, <laughs> there's there's a wonderful side of social media mm -hmm. and the internet, and you know what I write and what I might ultimately believe or agree in are sometimes two, two very different things. As a novelist, you better separate the two of those, you know, <laughs> for the sake of drama and fiction. Um, but, and there's a, there's a wonderful connection. I think we've all seen that uh, this past, you know, year and a half during the pandemic when we found new ways already in our silos and then, you know, compartmentalized even more. How do we reach out to people? How do we keep up? Um, human interaction, even digitally. And I think social media, and I think certainly Zoom 
has been wonderful. Um, I write novels, uh, as you were kind enough to post, uh, A Mound Over Hell and now A Fastball for Freedom, dystopian science fiction baseball. But I also write plays. And um, when this all hit us, and look, we didn't know if this was going to be a science fiction movie, if the the, the world was going to end. I mean, really? It didn't Last March, isn't that how all the science fiction movies start? Oh, well, yes. there's just one infected monkey. Oh, one bat, you know, right? And then right. suddenly we've got zombies, you know, exactly. you know, walking yeah. in the grocery store. It's like, oh boy. So we needed it. So we didn't know the end of this, actually. Um, I just assumed that the end of this was going to be some epic love story where two <laughs> like late teenagers were going to fall in love after oh, God. they after they found the cure for all of this. Yes, well, they're probably <laughs> planning that in Hollywood. It's. Uh... <laughs> Hollywood is also banned in my in my society under the anti-parasite laws. But that's, you know, I don't mean to offend anyone, but that, <laughs> but it's true. And so we had Zoom, you know, we had Zoom readings of some of my plays. My, my play, A Black and White Cookie, was supposed to open last March, March in 2020. And we got canceled a week before rehearsal. You know, man plans, God laughs. So Zoom, my, my point is social media brought people together. And you met actors and directors and, and an audience. I mean, I've had the play has had five Zooms so far this year and oh, wow. from London, from England to Los Angeles. So um, so the but it but the other side is we is it's still not human interaction. It's still not the same. I mean, you talk about meeting someone in, you know, a grocery store. Would they still be your friend? Would you still be attracted? Not in a sexual sense, but in a, an emotional sense. It's sure. not the same as, you know, a theater sitting there and having, you know, pins and needles. You know, why aren't they laughing at my jokes? Right. Right. <laughs> Are right. they listening? Exactly. Is that guy in the front row? He's looking at his cell phone. Oh, no, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's something to. And I think social media has made it harder for relationships and you're right it's there's fit there's a little insincerity well th there is and i mean i on a past podcast uh, i talked about how i no longer do online dating because yeah. it's just it's such an awkward way to meet people um yes. it's just there's just nothing natural about how the relationship builds that way and i mean it works for some people and great it just didn't work for me because it's just that online component as good as it can be especially during times that where it's the only time to interact with someone like a pandemic um there's just something to be said about getting to know somebody in person instead of just exchanging emails or phone numbers and texting them long before you ever uh, meet them. Uh, there is, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I, I was, um, I'm on my second marriage. Mm -hmm. Thank God. Um, you know, they say that a second marriage is the triumph of hope over experience, but at least it's working out. But in between marriages, I mean, I met my wife at the theater. She was working oh. at the theater where I had one of my plays. So that's, you oh, know, nice. to your nice. point, yes. But I did the online dating and, oh my God, Matt. You oh, know, yeah. What, it's, you, you never know what you're going to see when you show up, mm -hmm. right? You know, how much have they lied? You know, <laughs> how old is the picture? And after a while, I just got surly about it and I wasn't polite. I, I remember one time towards the end when I just gave it up like you and, mm -hmm. uh, this, this woman said, well, you look just like your photo. I said, thank you. She, and she waited. And she said, and so do I. And I looked at her and I said, no, you don't. 
I mean, no, 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 you don't. What what makes you think that I wouldn't notice? And I, <laughs> and and I had discussions with some of my single friends, and the only thing we could we could think of is that people figure, all right, it's going to be like a hail mary pass. Okay, sure. you're gonna, you, I'm going to get in the door. Maybe I don't look like I really do, um, or I look actually, you know, my picture didn't look like I really do. But then I could charm them, and and you know, we could have like a, a real relationship, or at least have a chance but i think it's just very duplicitous and and it's sad really is i don't know how people how did people date during the pandemic well they didn't right they didn't they didn't um a very dear friend of mine who uh her and i went out three times before the pandemic uh things were going well then we just had to stop uh because we didn't know each other very well and you know we were both you know, very socially conscious and actually listened to uh, the advice that was given to us. Yes. So we stayed apart. Somehow we managed to text every, pretty much every day through the pandemic. And now nice. that things are getting relatively back to normal, uh, we do see each other. Great. Uh, very, uh, but as kind of friends, because it's just we developed uh, just a really good friendship uh, during this time. So we're still in the process of getting to know each other. And uh, I'm glad that. You know, texting, social media did exist during that time because it did allow us to get to know each other uh, better, you know, even though we weren't able to see each other. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But uh, certainly I'm glad the pandemic is over and I can actually see uh, someone like uh, uh, this close friend uh, from time to time. It's it's a nice change. Definitely. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing Uh, about social media, it what I find so narcissistic about it at its worst is that on the one sense, it's very um, populist and I'm a populist. So I like this, um, that everyone has their own opinion, but on the other hand, there's no restraints. Mm -hmm. And I think what we've seen so much is a social media hatred and the bigotry um, rage all too often, um, whether it's a a prejudice against a a group or political opinions. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's very, and, and there's no way to really control that. They say they're controlling it. I just don't quite believe them. Like most Americans, I don't quite trust big tech. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's scary because uh, we're using the Podbean app for this show. If you look at the top 20 uh, shows that are on Podbean for Podbean users that do podcasts like this one uh, on this on this particular platform, a good portion of them are right-wing QAnon sites, and oh, or they are uh, religious, like uh, cr- you know the the Christianity uh, kind of evan- uh, evangelical sites. Yeah, and that's that's unfortunate because uh, there's so many other people out there that have good shows, interview people like you, um, or just funny, just off the wall kind of shows sure. that just don't get recognition. And that's sad to me that people are so, and there's so many of these right-wing conspiracy theory shows out there that people are drawn to. It's just an unfortunate reflection of where we are right now. Well, you know, I think it's also, I mean, that's an excellent point. Again, people should have their voice, and I'm not a big fan of the elites. Mm-hmm. And, you know, many years ago, geez, we're going back to 2010, I was, um, I had a, a, a fairly popular show on Block Talk Radio. Uh, we had, you know, there were th- three of us, we host, and we had very disparate views on different things, and we'd 
pushed the envelope and we had some 20,000 downloads a week, which I think was considered good in those days. But my, you know, friends would say, oh, you know, maybe someday you'll get a real radio show. And it was like, oh, yeah, (laughs) right. Uh, But so again, that's wonderful that, you know, you and I and everyone out there could have their own voice. The problem is because of our education system and people don't read like they used to and don't think like they used to. So if they turn on one of these conspiracy conspiracy, um, pods, they don't know it's not true. And, you know, and that's where it gets very dangerous. It's how do you assess that? And I think we're in a society all too often, which I think is very sad, is that you can't ex- you, you can't discuss a subject, often history, or even some contemporary politics. You can't try to explain why something happened without being attacked for agreeing with it. It's like no, no, no. I'm just trying to say this is why it happened because this is history and it's often ugly, um, or not often, but you know, okay, sometimes it's ugly. But why it happened? We need to understand why things happened, and I think that's. That's bad because if, if you can't think and ponder and analyze and discuss, you you know your the ability as a, as a people to understand is eroded, and so you believe whatever you hear. This crazy stuff out there. Yeah, and it's yeah, it, it's an interesting phenomenon, and it's yeah, yeah, it's it's hard for me to understand why it happens, and you just gave a really good explanation. Um, but, uh, going back to your uh, one thing about Gary, he has written two books that are part of uh, the Dark Depth series. Is that correct? Is yes, that a what... trilogy. Yes, I'm working on the final book now. Okay, okay. So there will be a third book that yes. has it. Has okay. And the first book is called A Mound Over Hell. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And then it's a fastball for freedom. Just published. It, it just published. Yeah, and uh, it's important to read these books in order. Yes, uh, it would be great. Yes. Yeah. So um, if you, uh, for the listeners out there, uh, start with a mound over hell, and uh, then the second, the sequel to that is a fastball for freedom. So um, I like this this description: dystopian baseball science fiction. I love that. I love that. So, like, I'm telling my almost 18-year-old son tonight, he asked me, are you doing your podcast tonight? I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm interviewing this guy from Brooklyn who writes dystopian baseball science fiction. He's like, whoa. (laughs) Yes, it's an interesting, well, it's a very different sort of combination. The beauty of science fiction is that it's such a broad genre. And Mm. people, all too many people think, oh, they think of Star Wars or Star Trek, right? Oh, it's all, you know, aliens, a spaceship, but it's very broad. And, and um, ba- certainly baseball science fiction is rare because many um, writers don't think that baseball is going to make the cut into the future with very good reason. <laughs> it very well might not. And so in my novel, it, um, baseball begins its um, final season ever. It's discredited. It's viewed as uh, treasonous as representing the old America, the America of being a great power, a great democracy, uh, the national pastime, as you said at the top of the show. Um, and then there's one ballpark left, Amazon Stadium, formerly Amazon Stadium. Stadium. Amazon Stadium, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a scene of a terrorist attack in the 2065 World Series between the Yankees and the, and the Cubs at um, Amazon Stadium. And um, this rebel group, the Miners, 
wanted to prosecute the war against um, Islam more vigorously. But, you know, we were at a point in our society where our armies were not what they once were. And our will was not what it once was. And the Islamic will, you know, think ISIS more sure. to sure. Um, succeed uh, was greater than ours. And, you know, what happens if America loses? It's a shocking thought. We know we lost. I mean, you could say we, uh, you know, not say, but it's fairly accurate that we lost the Vietnam War. Uh, yeah. But to lose a world war, that's pretty shocking. And to be surrounded and to, you know, be self-sufficient. And um, uh, so there's a lot of different things. As I said, social media is banned. Um, the entertainment industries, banks are banned. Um, abortions are legal because we lost 17 million people in our war. And so that we need to re replenish the stock. And there's, but ultimately what, what makes fiction work is not all that. And that's the stuff that goes, wow, that's cool. And you layer it in very casually. I like to throw my readers into the situation. And then you're going to understand sooner or later. But, you know, you got to think. I'm not going to, you know, there's, it's, it's not like, you know, in, in incredibly challenging. But, I mean, I make you pay attention. Uh, but ultimately, it's the characters. Any, you know, my novel, any novel, theater, movies, um, TV, graphic novels, you've got to care about the characters. And these are just ordinary people. Puppy Needick is a baseball historian. You know, talk about <laughs> a job with no future. <laughs> and uh, his best, best friend is Zelda Jones, who's an artist, a teacher, uh, endearing, but a total train wreck. Um, you know, she always gets everything wrong. And the last of the three um, good friends is Pablo Diaz, who's more somber. He's a dentist. Um, and then it looks like baseball's done, and Mickey Mantle and Ty Cobb come back miraculously. Oh. Wow! So yes, yeah, so baseball—it's someone said the series is like um, a nightmare field of dreams. Sure, sure but so baseball—you know—is um, resurrected, but it's set against the backdrop of competing groups between in, the, in America and Islam, those who want genuine peace. Because enough of this, this is, we cannot, the world cannot continue with this sort of level of hatred and tension. And those who say, well, bring it on. Let's finish it once and for all. Let's have World War Four. So baseball is kind of the pawn. And that's how it is throughout the series. Um, it's, you know, can baseball and faith save the world? And by faith, I don't mean religion, per mm -hmm. se. I mean faith in ourselves mm -hmm. and each other, that's which is to me the most powerful. Interesting, interesting. Going back to the chat room here really quickly, going back to, uh, as we were talking about uh, conspiracy theory shows, Father Brian, between cognitive biases, logical fallacies, and that we are taught what to know instead of how to learn, we become a society of the uniformly uninformed, sadly, while basically carrying the mythical library of Alexandria in our pockets. That's really, really good, Father Brian. Yeah. Really, really good. That and then uh, speaking uh, to the war that we have lost, the War of 1812 was a shutout. Britain spanked us and went <laughs> home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's Though the sure. last battle we won, and that was when the war was over, right? The Battle of New Orleans, we did win that one. And the, that was uh, communication was slow, so the treaty was signed. But by the time the war actually got to uh, General Andrew Jackson, um, the 
<laughs> the battle was already in progress, and I, 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 that's how that's what I was taught in history class. Yes, but who, <laughs> yeah, that made that made his reputation, Andy Jackson. That's right. That's why we elected him president. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, but I think that was, I believe you're right, Father Brian. I think, I, I believe right up to that point, it was a shutout. I think, I believe that was the only battle we did win. <laughs> but so Ty Cobb and Mickey Mantle come back. Now, does Ty Cobb come back as a jerk and Mickey Mantle come back as a drunk? Because that's their, <laughs> that's part of their legacy. Right? Well, they come back in their sixties. Oh, okay. okay. So, um, in this, so this is a world where there's no identity politics. It would pass that. So it doesn't matter um, what you are, but who you are. So I don't even, almost all the characters except for Mickey and Ty are people of color. Also, you know, if you, I thought for two important, well, three important reasons. First, because I believe in that. um, And I believe in just writing people as they are because it it makes it easier for people to come together. That's always been a theme in my writing. Uh, I believe that in the 22nd century, that's going to be more the face of America. And that's it. And, um, and also, if I'm creating a society in America, the family, where it doesn't matter what you are, then it should, then people, that should be reflected. Mm-hmm. If everyone is like, you know, straight white, it doesn't, men, it, <laughs> you know, it doesn't really work. This, it doesn't fit in. So when Ty and Mickey come back, you know, Ty was not the most enlightened person. So right. he looks around and he's, you know, on the subway and there's, two girls there, you know, kissing on the subway. It's like, what? He says, where's all the white people? You know, and of course, Mickey is, has his drinking problems. Also, you know, this is not a society where you should be staring at a woman's breasts. That is right. not, <laughs> that is, you know, not quite the way it should be. So there's kind of a, a culture clash with them. Um, and so, so a lot has changed in the year 2098. That's oh, I'm yes. <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, you know, we're surrounded, but some things are good. It, it, you know, it really, um, there's, you know, no cell phones, mm-hmm. none at all because of national, national security. And again, the belief that you should know what's happening in your family. There's people write letters. The U.S. Postal Service has delivered mail four times a day. It's the greatest mail service in the world. I know that's kind of hard to believe now. So, um, <laughs> but you know, but when, when you're a speculative writer, science fiction speculative writer, and you create, you're building a world, and you're looking into the future, it's incumbent upon you to create something different. For example, you you need to show. If you okay, just a, a, a quick side going sideways. If you're writing hard science fiction, where there's aliens and there's you know, a lot of things that are completely alien to us uh, and there's nothing to connect to. That's a certain genre of science fiction. But if you're writing, this is, you know, dystopian and it's more social and political, then I need to, for the reader, for you, Matt, and everyone out there listening to see how America came to be this way so it can make some sense without ever, uh, there's no one's ever mentioned, there's no contemporary politicians, for example, ever mentioned. There's not even any contemporary sports figures mentioned. Uh, it's But when you say, well, okay, um, this has been banned, you say, oh, I understand why that might happen. You can see why uh, acts of patriotism were banned. Mm-hmm. You can see threads you, in um, f- uh, face spots, robots. Robots with faces are ba- were banned in 2040 because 
they so seamlessly uh, blended into our society, causing chaos. So you can kind of see how that happened. So that's what I'm saying. You need to at least show the reader, okay, I get that. And now you're taking me way to the next level, which is so you don't lose people so sure. they can follow the story. Sure, sure. Now, do you mix in some, uh, I haven't read your books yet, and I, yes. but I will. Um, oh, thank you, because uh, Gary was uh, initially going to come on July 13th. Uh, the guys I was going to interview tonight had a commitment, so I had to reschedule. And uh, Gary, on short notice, uh, decided to, uh, decided to come in. And I thank and I thank oh, you for your flexibility there. My pleasure. Um, so, do you mix in? Is, 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 it sounds like you might mix in a little bit of humor with this. You're talking about yes. the type, yeah. So, yes, you need to. Yeah, absolutely. You, you need to. Yeah, you need. You can't just be hammering the reader. Mm-hmm. You need to give them a chance to breathe to take it in, to smile. Oh, yes, there's absolutely humorous stuff. Um, uh, One of my literary heroes um, is Philip K. Dick, who wrote, you know, some very, always with serious themes, but it was kind of, you know, he had the humor. Mm -hmm. He went over the top. So I like, I think that's really important. Certainly in my plays, uh, when there's a serious moment, I will let that... um, open up but you also have to give the audience you know oh okay (laughs) okay now i can laugh let me smile for a little bit i think it's always uh more powerful when you blend things in a little bit as long as you're not winking and nodding and breaking that yeah sure sure well it makes me think of uh christopher moore are you familiar with him at all I, I remember the name, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's a he's a modern writer that uh, he writes a lot of uh, science fiction, uh, a lot of just uh, horror, borderline horror, just kind of uh, uh, demon type stuff, if you will. Yes. But he he makes it funny as he's telling the story, and yeah, it's it's once you get into the story itself, and he's a great storyteller, you can't put it down, and the humor certainly does. Uh, add to that factor that, uh, uh, yeah yeah so uh, and like you said you need that there to just kind of uh, let the reader breathe if you will right and people you know have their mishaps and they have their comical even in the worst of times they have their comical moments Absolutely. You know, in, in, the, in the novel people kind of swept up in extraordinary times but it's still like oh boy I'd like to meet someone and fall in love what are we having for dinner right it's so you need to have those moments absolutely absolutely yeah um and your plays you mentioned uh let me go back here you mentioned uh black and white cookie Uh, so this was a pandemic drama that you did over zoom well yes it was supposed to open live at the theater for the new city last year and then i just got tired of waiting (laughs) so uh, you know hello like enough already so we had some zoom um presentations and um and i'm uh, it looks like there'll be some um a a live show hopefully this year or early next year and also the same for one of my other plays a tomato can't grow in the bronx and uh so that's you know as as we slowly open up as it becomes feasible as people you know creep back into theaters i i i love the movies that's what growing up as a kid it was one of my great joys 
um, apart from loving the movies and the magic of the, the, the lights going down, also I had a very dystopian, dysfunctional family. So just getting away from them was great, <laughs> which is why I became a writer. You know, you can make things turn out the, the way you want. Um, mm-hmm. You could escape. Uh, and I've went the last two weekends to the movies and it's, it was such a joy. I saw A Quiet Place 2 mm-hmm. and then I saw um, F9, Fast and Furious. Nine, oh, you which did was see fun. That. Yes, it was fun. Look, it's like, oh my God, are you kidding me? But, you know, at times, but but, but then they have humor, which mm-hmm. is good, but it's just, you just sit back and it's just so much. I, I just miss the theater. The theater's yes. a lot, so. I actually went for the first time in months, probably 18 months this past Saturday and saw In the Heights and was very, very much entertained. Uh, yes, uh, yeah. that's what we want. We need it. Yeah. Oh, we desperately, desperately. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's just it's just nice to feel normal again. It's just we took it for granted before. And now I have this belief that I'm never going to take going to the movies or going out to a restaurant or going into the grocery store without a mask. Uh, I'm never going to take this for granted ever again. I know. Isn't it wonderful? I've gone back to yoga. Mm-hmm. which is wonderful in the gym and just we still have to wear it on the subway yep. because of it because of its federal regulations but yeah it's just breathing again I mean, the, the great question is going to be has the human race learned any lessons i tend, tend to be cynical and say no but <laughs> but we'll see have we, you know i've noticed and maybe it's i'm wrong about this but i think people were um ruder during the mm-hmm. pandemic, I, I think because it was like an excuse. Oh, I can't, you know, I'm going to die. Just I can't be bothered. And um, apart from the fact that you know, common courtesy is all too often a thing of the past um, in too many ways. Uh, but we'll see if if people learned a lesson about what we all went through. I don't know. Well, and a lot of it, I believe, had to do. We had a pandemic during a very heated election yes. as well, and. All of a sudden, you have people locked up in their homes and just inundated with information on the screen. And really, the arguing I saw on social media was just, oh, my goodness. I, it seems like it's gradually going away. However, you talk about learning our, learning our lessons yeah, I have some hope in that. I don't. I believe it's going to be a gradual process. Um, yeah, I mean, I just don't know. I just don't know. I guess uh, by the end of the summer, we'll have a better idea, assuming we don't have another surge uh, yes. in the in the in this country. Uh, yeah, it remains to be seen. It remains to be seen. Well, I think the crime is worrying people. Yeah, and I think that's very disturbing. Right. Right. I know New York is, you know, the, the, the spike in shootings, you know, a few days ago, just a tourist, 21-year-old guy was hit by a stray bullet in the shoulder in Times Square. Oh, like, goodness. In Times yes. Square, no kidding. Wow. Yes. You know, and, and New York depends on tourists. Well, that's not exactly a commercial to come to New York and get shot. I mean, exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah. exactly. Go to Broadway, and then when you come out of the theater, maybe if you're lucky, you, you know, you won't get a, a bullet in your body. Come on. <laughs> but I think people think it's okay to um, get away with this. And that's what worries me, kind of yeah. the breakdowns of that. 
Right. So, uh, judging by your accent, uh, I would say you're a native New Yorker? Yes, Bronx. Grew up six blocks from Yankee Stadium. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Yes. Wow. So, no need to ask what baseball team you root for. Yes. I root for the Yankees, although this season it's a little difficult. Um, (laughs) They're not doing as well. But I, I, I love baseball, so I respect all baseball fans. As long as you like baseball, that's cool with me. I know that, you know, I have some very rabid Red Sox fans. And I say, you know what? I have enormous respect um, for the for the, the Boston franchise and the Boston history. And in fact, <clears throat> in a fastball for freedom, uh, there's chunks set in Boston. And the the, the the stadium that's the focus is Fenway Park, which gets rebuilt in time for the 2099 season by robots. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and well, you're talking to another uh, rabid Red Sox fan. <laughs> okay, well then, there you go. You'll like. You might like fastball for freedom. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. No, I, my grandfather really uh, turned me on to uh, baseball, and up here in Maine, this is Maine's Red Sox country. Sure, of course. Uh, I, I mean, I'm four, probably four and a half hours from Boston, but. Uh, the first time I went to Boston was to go see the Red Sox, and this was the time of uh, Jim Rice, Kyle Yastrzemski. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Just uh, a really, I mean, it's always a good, it's always great to go to Fenway Park because there's always going to be people there. There, it's just rich in history, and you know how Red Sox fans are—they're yes. devoted people, uh, much yes. like Yankees fans. It's a cathedral. Fenway Park is a cathedral. Absolutely, a- and Absolutely. it's just when I went a few years ago. It was. I was just stunned by just how beautiful it is. It, it's mm-hmm. you, you know the original Yankee Stadium was also special. The new one is you know it is special, but not quite. It's still mm-hmm. not quite. But this Fenway, Wrigley Field, and Yankee Stadium, those are the three pillars. Absolutely. And, you know, and I think the, th- the thing about baseball is, uh, baseball fans is you need to be sentimental. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's something about baseball, the tradition. Uh, you know, I don't want to diss any football or basketball fans, but really, how many people know the number of the all-time passing yardage uh, leader? You know, that it, that's not exactly a number that resonates. Exactly. You know, right? Uh, unlike, you know, 56 for DiMaggio's hitting streak or, you know, 511 Cy Young's, um, you know, career wins and, and on and on, as all of you out there know. And, and that's, the, that's what makes baseball, I think, special that it links to the past much much easier is that a record that will ever be broken do you think the cy young i don't think ever the cy young won't but that the 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 dimaggio record is one i don't believe ever will either though some people will say oh yeah yeah i mean but no one's really ever come close to it i mean well and now when there's so many strikeouts right that you're not going to put the the ball in play like you used to. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, the game has, I mean, it's, it's, I hate to admit it, how much the game has changed, but it just is changing and not for the better. Mm-hmm. I don't really care about escape velocity or exit mm-hmm. velocity, whatever. Really? Who cares? Yeah, it's a, it, it the ball's hit very hard. It, it goes into the center field bleachers quickly. Yeah, next. Now, what about a hit and run? Right. Right. You know, what about it's just it's the game is very different. Uh, there's the fundamentals, the, the very basics of running. The basis is astonishingly, 
astonishingly lacking, just yeah. like shocking, right? You watch right. it, it's just like, come on. I mean, we learned that in Little League. I know it. I know right? It. And, you know, that's – so I think it, it, baseball has its troubles, and um, I, th- it, I just hope it corrects itself. Well, and it's yeah, it's interesting you just mentioned those basic fundamentals that we learned in Little League. I mean, I remember, I guess this is this is a while back, but this is the Red Sox before they won World Series. Uh, the Red Sox of that I grew up with didn't steal bases. They didn't bunt. Yes. I mean, one the year before the 86 World Series, so it would have been 1985. Bill Buckner, this is no joke led the Red Sox in stolen bases. <laughs> well, that's pretty sad. That, well, I mean, what did he have, 10? I mean, it's something like that. Yeah, it was, like, yeah. it was double digits, but I mean, and then it continued um, until later years. I remember one time there was a game that they were losing one to nothing. Finally, in the sixth inning, they get runners on first and second with only one out. Now, logic tells you, no, they didn't have... No, there were no outs. They got they had guys on first and second with no outs. Logic tells you in that situation the batter is going to bunt. Yes, you, you know, move the guys over so you can get a run in. Doug Marabelli, the backup catcher, comes up. He probably hasn't laid a bunt since you know his uh, little league team since he was like nine years old or something, right? So in he's probably incapable of laying a bunt. So instead of pinch hitting for him, putting in the starting catcher, who was uh, Jason Veritek, who was having a day off, they have him swing away, and what does he do? He hits into a double play. Yes, there you go. And then the next guy strikes out. I mean, it's just like, I mean, it, it things like that just bug me. <laughs> yes, right, yes. You know, and it's just like, you know, you can't, you're getting paid however many bazillion dollars a year and you can't lay down a bunt. <laughs> yeah, it's sad. It's or throwing the, the ball to the right base. Exactly. Oh, exactly. and also attitude. Uh, uh, Giancarlo Stanton um, was quoted today after last night's loss, fourth fourth straight loss to the, uh, to the Angels. Uh, we're not talking about what happened at Fenway Park. We just skip over that this past weekend. But he said, you know, sometimes we don't show up every night. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. wait a minute. How much do you make a year? When you right. don't show up every night with intensity. You're not mm-hmm. running constantly. This is not a basketball game. Mm-hmm. You, you're a designated hitter. Exactly. You're just sitting there, dude. Right, right. Right. It's yeah. And, and it's that kind of attitude that they have. I mean, and granted, the season's long. I get that. But still. And, you know, in New, in the New York and Boston markets, you have to deal with the media and you're not always yes. going to say the right thing. Right. And, you know, those things I understand as well. And I'm going to be nice to you, Gary. I'm not going to mention what happened this past week. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Boston, the Red Sox have a really good team yes, this year. And they're athletic, and they hit, and they field. Oh, and, yeah. oh, now, when isn't Chris Sale supposed to come back this season or soon? He is. It's exciting, actually, because uh, a few days ago he was rehabbing in Portland, Maine. Uh, oh, uh, the our Double uh, A uh, affiliate in Portland, Maine, is uh, Red Sox affiliated. So, uh, yeah, Portland Sea Dogs. So, yeah, he pitched in Portland the other night, and I, I missed it. I w- was almost going to make the drive down, but yeah. Did he yeah. do okay? Is he looking better? Yeah, he looks okay. Yeah, he looks okay. They're they're taking they're taking their time bringing him back because sure. they're playing well. 
Uh, so they're in a position where. But that would be huge. Uh, oh, in absolutely. the second half to add him if he's anything near what he was. Oh yeah, yeah, no question, no question. So, yeah, but it goes to show. I mean, I think it's exciting that you have the guy uh, that plays for the Anaheim Angels that you know pitches and is leading yes. the league in home runs. That's exciting. I think what Degrom's doing in New York—that's kind of fun to watch. Impossible. Um, I mean, how does he have a a zero point six nine ERA? I know, I know. It's, it's just it isn't impossible. Yeah, it is incredible. Yeah, you still. That's why you love baseball exactly. because you have that, but you yeah. still, you know, you you. I, I think what's hard is you the younger generation. Now, mm-hmm. d- is your son a big baseball fan? Not really. He's not much of an athlete. He, yeah. but he does appreciate it. Uh, so if I were watching a game, he would, he would take interest. Yeah. 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 The older he gets, the more interest uh, he takes in watching sports. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, more into, uh, I would say football and basketball a little bit because of just the instant gratification. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I have no patience for seven inning double, you know, double headers. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Or this insanity. With putting a runner on second base in the tenth inning, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, it's just yeah, they're making the. I agree. They're they're making the wrong moves, uh, definitely, definitely. And you know what? If you should not outlaw the shift, what you do is hit the ball to the opposite way. Exactly. exactly. That's. I mean, not. I mean, Ted Williams would never do that, of course. But right. most hitters. The thing about baseball is, just being big doesn't make you better. Right. Right? right. I mean, you know, you talk about, you know, Kari Stremski. How big was Kari Stremski? 5'11? Yeah, he maybe he wasn't very big. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mickey, Mantle, Willie mm-hmm. Mays, Henry Aaron. I remember Henry Aaron would always say, it's all the wrists. Mm-hmm. Roberto Clemente. These guys were like 5'10, five, 5'11, five, six foot maybe. And mm-hmm. now they're just so big and muscle bound that, right. yeah, you can hit the ball far, but are you, you know, flexible enough? Is that really baseball? And, uh, it doesn't quite, you know, Aaron Judge, at least he's healthy this year, but right. he's always, you're always waiting for him to, like, you know, pull a ribcage. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, it's, but, yeah, it's back in the day, the players that we followed and really, really liked, they look like ordinary guys. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely, they kind of were. It gave us hope when we were kids playing baseball yeah we could do it <laughs> exactly you see exactly that's yeah. exactly that's something else about baseball you were not you did not have to be tall like a basketball mm-hmm. player or broad like a football player you right. could like you could just be a, a, a little guy mm-hmm. and if you were smart and you could bunt and you could run and you could feel you could make it absolutely and that absolutely. was the every every man the uh you know the the core of baseball and its connection into our society, which I think is, is, is gone. And especially when you have a society which doesn't care about history that much, Mm -hmm. um, or is afraid of history, talking about a sport, which is linked to the past like that also puts a different, uh, you know, a different, uh, you know, sheen to it. that makes it well, you know, you can't glorify what happened in the thirties. Mm-hmm. And that's silly. It's not about. It's not about that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, kind of going back about you. Um, so, you're part of the baby boom generation. Yes, I am. Proud to say, yes. And uh, have you ever lived outside of New York? 
Yes, I live. I went my freshman year to Buffalo. Mm-hmm. I spent um, six months in Cincinnati working for the Cincinnati Post for the Kentucky Bureau. Mm-hmm. I lived a year in London back oh, in the right. day. Yeah, back, you know, I was a real expat. This was back in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked for a British um, film and television producers um, company. And, uh, but this was, you know, before the internet, before cell phones. So if you wanted to call home, it cost you a pretty penny. Uh, and um, I lived in Los Angeles for a little while. I do not like Los Angeles. I don't want to t- terribly offend any of your L.A. listeners, but I just, sorry, I hate L.A. So, <laughs> Everyone has their preference. Yes, <laughs> yes. So, I, uh, you know, no. But, um, but pretty much I'm a New Yorker. Mm-hmm. I lived in Brooklyn for some more than 30 years now. And uh, I, you know, I love New York. Woody Allen said that to live in New York, you have to love it. Sure. And I think one of the things about New York is it's becoming harder to love. Mm-hmm. And you have to put up with stuff. And it used to be, well, it was gritty, but it had that charm. And I don't, it doesn't quite have the charm it once did. Well, uh, I think of, I mean, I haven't really spent any time in New York at all, but I'm always intrigued by documentaries uh, that, uh, especially about the music scene in like the 1970s and uh, politics of the time and also the way Times Square used to be compared to what it is now, uh, the 1980s with uh, Ed Koch being mayor. Um, So... You've seen all these changes over the years. Yes, I mean, yes. Uh, so uh, compare, say, the 1970s when you had uh, extremely high crime in New York to now. I mean, are the the changes? Well, why don't I ask it this way? What are the positive changes, and what are the what are some things that you pine for, you yearn for, uh, that you would like that uh, bring back good memories of that time? Well, yeah, I think the um, crime rate was really out of control. And I think it was a question of whether New York was ever going to be livable. And New York did bounce back. And I think that was testament to the city and to the people. And even after um, you, you, you're going into the 90s, uh, before you know they came you know, slapped down about quality of life. and um, uh, But I think... That was New York, and there were more livable. Uh, there, there are more livable places now, mm-hmm. safer places now. The subway's better now, uh, but I think it's losing its charm, and I think it's becoming um, less affordable. And I don't think it's the go-to place for businesses like it used to be for corporate headquarters. Mm-hmm. I think um, theater. Now, it's going to be um, very interesting to see, you know, you you can talk about Broadway all you want. I'm not going to take up a collection for the Nederlanders or Disney, uh, but downtown theater, how many theaters will actually open, reopen? Is that's going to be, um, I mean, I hope so, because that's the incubator. You know, you talk about uh, seeing in the Heights and, um, you know, Hamilton was developed downtown theater. Sure. I mean, that's where, you know, it's, I don't want to say it's the triple A because that makes it seem like minor league, but it is the incubator for so much. It was at least so much for so much theater in New York City. If you pu- you know push aside the tourist attractions of Broadway and the big name stores, uh, but I think what made New York special 
the attitude, the people is kind of fading away. Mm-hmm. And maybe it will be re- reborn and revitalized in a different fashion. But I, I, I hope I'm wrong. I really do. Because, again, you, you could have said New York was, was dead in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I mean, I, I think of places like uh, CBGBs. Yeah, I was Nexus, just going to say that. City. Yes. Yeah, the, the, uh, places like that that just were. Punk, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, wow, what that would have been a great time to just be in New York to go to those places. I mean, I love the stories uh, that I hear and the bands that played at those places. Like, wow, what a great time to be alive. But there again, I'm sure it wasn't all good. But at the same time, CBGB's has gone away and uh, the Bowery isn't like it used to be. It's all gentrified. And uh, yeah, it's become a place where nobody can afford to live. Right. Or only the very, very wealthy um, uh, can. And uh, well, that's the, a shame. Yes. Yeah. Well, Greenwich Village in the early 60s, this was be- just before my time. But, you know, mm-hmm. Bob Dylan and, you know, people like that singing in the in the coffee houses. And then you go back to the, the jazz, um, you know, jazz clubs mm-hmm. in the 50s and 60s and um, in, in, in the village. And New York had that. Mm-hmm. And we had it more than anyone else. We had, you know, the fashion and we had the the newspapers and we had book publishing and we had so much that was, you know, the restaurants that was so uniquely New York. Mm-hmm. And is that the case anymore is is the question. And will that be the case again? And yeah, and it's and I guess it's not only New York where you see it. I mean, you see it where I live on a minor scale. Uh, I live in Belfast, Maine. It's what it is a city, but I mean, it's less than 10,000 people. And it used to be the poultry empire of Maine. Uh, a lot of chickens were produced. Yes. Uh, I hope you like and, chicken. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, at that time, Belfast was just really nasty. You had like uh, chicken guts and heads floating in the harbor. Oh, God. And you, uh, you avoided Belfast because it was just this really gritty working class town but there was also you know bar fights stabbings oh jeez yeah you know it's you know quite a bit for a a, a more than you might think in a a smallish city but now the poultry plant is long gone and it's becoming what you are describing just on a much much smaller scale Housing's a problem. Uh, the restaurants are good, uh, but you know the prices are elevated. So yes. uh, a lot of people, you know, so you know you're seeing it uh, everywhere, um, and I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what the future brings. I guess uh, with uh, these situations. Well, you know, uh, things when you think about you know what we're going through now, and you don't, you can go back to you know the tumultuous 1960s when you know the country was going all different directions uh we had the cold war and we had you know the civil rights movement and vietnam and the class of the 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 generations and it was a whole um it was a different country too and you know the cycles Mm -hmm. and new things happen and new things are born it is always the uncertainty well what if it stops there's nothing preordained about america staying a great country Nothing. Right. Where's it written? Or any uh, America or any country. 
you know, being a world power, great power, you know, ask the, the Romans, right? <laughs> you know, even on and on, you could go through that list of, uh, you know, world powers who, who are no more. Uh, so it takes effort. From well, I always people. think of the I always think of the Roman Empire too, and uh, I've been thinking about the Roman Empire in all of this discussion when we were talking about your book and what the what will happen in the future. I mean, world powers do collapse. Uh, this world power will collapse. I wonder if it'll happen in our lifetime, yes. or if it's going to be centuries from now, and. And what will it be? Will it be climate change? Will it be that the place just gets so hot that it, we're just the planet just won't be here as we know it? Or will it be something internal? Will it be our own strife? Will it be a foreign invader? Will it be a combination of all of what I just mentioned? I guess we don't know. I, uh, we certainly act to prevent or we should act to prevent all of those things. Sometimes we don't do a very good job. Um, but I do think about the Roman Empire, and how long did the Roman Empire exist? Uh, Boy, it, I think under a 1,000 years, you want to go back to maybe like 300 B.C., and then to then the, the Goths, the Visigoths, and all the Goths started. Mm -hmm. You know, that was like... 400 um, AD 500. So, I mean, it was close to a thousand years. Not close quite, though. Years. It seems yeah. like a longer time, but that was Rome. That, How could you right. imagine Rome not being forever the greatest, you know, the mightiest empire in the world? Sure, sure, sure. Which really shaped the world as we know it, really. I mean, as far yes. as uh, language and architecture and uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And then I guess the argument is that r the Roman Empire just overextended itself. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Got lazy. Got yeah. fat. Got you yeah. know. Okay, let the slaves do it. Exactly. We can't. You know, we can't dirty our hands. Mm -hmm. uh, and it kind of lost the will, the belief in certainly the belief in democracy. Uh, you know, the elites. Um, you know, becoming pampered, becoming decadent, if not degenerate, co certainly corrupt, um, you know, being myopic. It was many, many things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, yeah. there were other people who were hungrier. Sure, sure. You know, they yeah. wanted it more. Absolutely. And I guess that's what it'll, that's what it'll take uh, in our situation is uh, who wants it more. Who wants yes, we always. Have. Who's yeah. hungriest? Yes. Yeah. Yep. That's an excellent point. Excellent point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you, did I read somewhere your wife is also a playwright? Is that yes, correct? she is a, a playwright and director. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. And uh, how has she fared during the pandemic? She's you know resilient, mm -hmm. powering ahead, seeing theater. That's what we do. Uh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. And. I I always love talking to New Yorkers uh, just because I a big I've ne I'm going to say this I've never really spent any time in New York at all. I'm 50 years old 
And I used to take a little bit of pride in saying that, but now I'm like, oh man, I'm missing out on so much. I mean, I've been, I've traveled through New York on I-95. I've flown out of JFK. <laughs> I mean, but I've never spent any time in the city itself. And uh, as I get older, I'm regretting that. So I, I love hearing stories from actual New Yorkers. I lived on a island off the coast of Maine for a better part of three years. And a lot of New Yorkers visit this island. It's called Monhegan Island. Um, and one thing I noticed, a lot of New Yorkers would come in the month of August. And me being in Maine, where there's so very few people, when I'm walking down the sidewalk or a country road and I see another person, I, even if I don't know them, I just automatically say, hey, how you doing? Yes. What I noticed on Monhegan when a lot of New Yorkers came out, I'd be walking on a trail or walking down the island road, and I'd be like, hey, how you doing? And they would say absolutely nothing. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I take such offense to that, but now I get it. I mean, you're so used to seeing people, like, and so many of them, and you're kind of and there is this element of trust. You're not going to trust everyone you see. No, as you can't. No, <laughs> yeah. you really can't. No. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, they're not going to say hello back to me. They don't know who the hell I am. Or... <laughs> but I get it now. But when I was 20-something and living out there and working, I it, it, it didn't really process. Well, you have to come to New York, but just wait till the crime abates a little bit. Yes, because I don't want to get sh shot. I don't want to no. get accidentally shot on time. Square. No, no, or, or purposely shot, <laughs> or which purposely would be even shot. worse. Yes, I mean that either one could happen. Yes, yeah, it's a little, it's a little crazy, and, little, and uh, there's been all this chaos at Washington Square Park, which is iconic in Greenwich Village, and the mm -hmm. police could barely keep it under control anymore. There's a lot of, you know, I don't want to say we're at the movie Escape from New York. You know, Snake, <laughs> the Kurt Russell character, but um, it gets a little disturbing. Mm -hmm. Really, it's just it's a little unnerving. They've got to get this under control. Uh, yeah, well, uh, that yeah, and that and that's sad to hear and uh, sad to see on the news. Uh, definitely, and New York's not the only city that's experiencing. No, uh, certainly uh, not. No, we'll I'll have to come to Maine someday. I would love to do. Maine? No, been, yeah. no, I would love to go to Maine. Yes, yeah, it's it's beautiful. Yeah, um, quiet, you know, right? I'd like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a thirteen. I've I've said it here many times. I have a thirteen mile commute to work, and it takes me fifteen minutes to get there. You know, wow. if I had, yeah, it's just I. Yeah, it's just a different pace of life. That's yes, what it is. which is not yeah. must be nice. Oh yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. And uh, we have to fight the cold weather. Uh, I'd say, Sorry. I'd say probably five months out of the year are really, really cold, and I can see why uh, people choose not to live here. Uh, but the other seven months out of the year are, are beautiful. I mean, right now it's ninety. Well, it was ninety-four degrees today. The heat's going to break get sometime. Too. Yes. Yeah, the heat's going to break sometime tomorrow. But I mean, our average temperature during the summertime here is you know seventy-five. Oh, that sounds very degrees. nice. Oh boy! Yeah, yeah it's that beautiful. Sounds, that sounds. Yeah. Awesome. I have to get, I'm going to tell my wife that we've <laughs> got to go there. Oh, this yeah. has been a lot of fun, by the way. Thank you. Oh yeah, absolutely, and I appreciate you coming on. And um, 
Yeah, and I'll certainly spread the word via my social media and Twitter. And uh, thank you. Yes, and tag me. And if if I could be shameless, if you want to buy my novels, go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or just about anywhere. Absolutely, and that's uh, uh, the Dark Depth series. And the first book is uh, Mound Over Hell, and uh, the second book is A Fastball for Freedom by Gary Morgenstein. And Thanks again, Gary. Thank you so much, Matt. You take care. You too. Take Thank care. you, everyone, for listening. And hello in the chat room. <laughs> Absolutely. Take care, Matt. Good night, yeah. everyone. Good night. All right. Hi, old. How's everyone in the chitty chat room doing? Uh, thanks for uh, listening. And uh, that was an interesting conversation. Uh, if you didn't hear... And forgive my editing skills here. This is my first time using Audacity, or Audacity. Anyway, thanks uh, again for Gary for coming. That was such an interesting interview, such a great conversation, and glad that he took part and agreed to come on. Thank you for listening. Next week... Should be me interviewing the guys from Gutting the Sacred Cow. Enjoy. Thank you.